You can still call me Bishop. It's okay, really. So. Good morning, church. So two months ago, uh, I told you this a little bit about the story. I went to do a wedding in uh, New Braunfels, San Antonio area, and uh, so Renee went with me, and we took the chance that our son would do a risky business party while while we're you know he was here. Remember risky business? Yes. Okay. So anyway, we got a nice hotel, and the wedding was not till Saturday at five, and so we just, we got up, we slept in. And I said, hey, they got a fantastic gym. Let's go work out. Now, anytime I can do stuff with my wife, my baby doll, that's a great, great thing. But hey, working out, that brings it to a whole new level, okay, right there? All right. So she puts her little workout clothes on, hubba hubba, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? All right. I mean, she was not, it was not too extra. I mean, it was appropriate. You know, it was a nice little outfit. She, had, she was looking cute. And uh, she, she's been telling me, you know, because I do the elliptical every day, you know, the five or five and a half miles, somewhere around there. And she's like, you know, John, you got to start working on your chest. You got to start working on your arms. You got to start pumping. So I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pump today. So I'm over there. I'm doing at least 20 pounds, at least 20 pounds. And uh, I'm, I'm getting all pumped. And she's over on the treadmill because, you know, guys care about, ar- you know, arms and girls care about legs, you know, all that. So she's on the treadmill and she's going on the treadmill and, and uh, it has these rails on it. And I walk up to her and I kind of lean up against it after I was flexing, of course. So, and I lean on the, the little, you know, the railing there and... Uh, She's doing the treadmill, and I didn't realize it, but when I leaned on the treadmill, it had the little control device to speed it up. And so I'm leaning on it, and it's just speeding up real slowly. So she doesn't really notice at first, so she's talking to me. And I go up to her, I'm like, hey, what's a cute girl like you doing in a place like this? And she laughed, and she thinks it's funny. But then the machine's going faster and faster, and I'm like, man, she's really pushing her today. And then she has this look of horror on her face, like, what is going on with the machine? Like, it's going too fast. And then she, like, jumps to the side. You ever seen people that jump to the side of the, you know, because they got to get off the treadmill? And she's like, she looks down, and she sees my elbows on the thing, and she's like, what are you doing, trying to kill me? And I laughed and laughed, and she didn't laugh at all. She didn't laugh at all. And the reason I share that is because I actually think that that's a metaphor for our lives, right? We start on the treadmill of life, right? You start on the treadmill and little by little, barely noticeable at first, what do we do? You start adding a little bit more to your life. You start adding a little bit more, right? A little bit more and it's barely noticeable, but pretty soon you're going really, really fast on the treadmill. Andy, are you with me? Yeah, right? All right, because, you know, you, you take out a student loan, you go to college, and then you have a girlfriend, then she becomes a wife, and then you get diapers and a baby, and then more diapers and more babies, and Mother's Day out, and soccer, and dance ballet, and braces, and kids, and, and a second job, because we got to pay for everything, and more debt. And all of a sudden, we wake up, and we feel really, really overwhelmed. I mean, how many of you have always <laughs> woken up this way in the last year or so? I feel a little bit rushed or anxious or overwhelmed with all I have to do, and there's not enough hours in the day. Anyone? Are you with me? And so if you're like me, what do you do? You try to become more efficient. So this is what you, you're shopping at HEB, and what do you do? You're like, what's the shortest line? You're analyzing the lines. What's the shortest line? I was counseling a guy this week, and he was talking to me about being overwhelmed, about so much to do. And he's like, Pastor, I got a confession to make. And sometimes when people confess to me, it's not good. And this was not good. He said, Pastor, I multitask everywhere. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I take my phone into the restroom with me. I'm like, what? 
I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, you know, emailing, right? Okay, I'm doing business while I'm doing my business. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Can I just talk to the real people here today? And, but I realize I do this too because like, like just last week, I'm pulling up to a stoplight. And what am I doing? I'm deciding which car to get behind based upon which car I think will be faster to get through the light. You ever do this? Anyone else? And I actually pulled up this week. I don't know if you've seen that yellow Lamborghini that's in Corpus. And it's a yellow Lamborghini and his license plate says FSTR. Why? Because he's so fast, he's got time. He doesn't even have time for vowels on his license plate, okay? That's how fast he is. And I read one executive that, that, you know, Domino's doesn't sell pizza. Domino's sells time. Think about it. Amazon sells time. Uh, One of the executives for them said, speed is God and time is of the devil. How many times do you say, you know, I just don't have time to do the things I want to do. I just don't have time to do these things. Anyone here? Anyone? Yeah? And I don't have time, worse yet, for the people that I really love, the people that I need to spend time with. And how many of you might ask yourself, is life really supposed to be this way? And what if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life you want may be the life you're living right now? Hello? A friend of mine, he got, he got a drawing from his kid. You ever get drawings from your kids? Right, those, those mean something. I've kept all the drawings from my kids. A friend of mine got a drawing from his kid, and it was a picture of him at and, and his wife and the kids, and he's put, I love you, Dad, but I just wish you didn't have to spend so much time at work. That, that woke him up, right? That woke him up. So how many of you believe, and now we're in church, and now if you're just checking out Jesus, we're glad you're here. If you're online, you're just checking out Jesus, we're glad you're with us. But how many of you here say, you know what, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus. How many of you? Okay, that's good. I'm glad to see your hands up. So it What I want to do today is I want to look at not just how Jesus loved, we look at that a lot, but let's look at just how Jesus lived. Did Jesus live like we live? Now, first of all, he had three years of public ministry, not a lot, and in those three years, he embraced the Father's mission. He recruited a heavenly ragtag team of of 12 guys and some ladies to do some work. He endured the, the ridicule of the Pharisees. He resisted the temptation of the devil. He actually made and fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies. He healed all sorts of sick people. He loved all sorts of hurting people. He preached the word of God fearlessly. And there's this phrase, when you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, particularly in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 14, this phrase comes up over and over again when you look at Jesus. And the phrase is, as Jesus walked along. Everybody say that with me. As Jesus walked along. As you see that picture in Scripture, he walked, he walked, he walked. And in this particular case, it says, as Jesus walked along, he saw Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up and followed Jesus. I was thinking about Levi, and it's just fascinating to me. If Jesus was unrushed, right, and Levi followed Jesus, he walked with Jesus, then Levi should have been living an unrushed life. And then I thought about us. If we follow an unrushed Jesus, we should be living an unrushed life. Hello? Hello? Is this working today? Is my mic on? You never read Jesus ran around. 
When you read the Gospels, there's no record of Jesus like running, jogging, on the elliptical, fast walking. You know, you see people that do the fast walk, skipping, sprinting. Jesus was busy, but he was never rushed. He never said to his disciples, hey, boys, hurry up. We're behind schedule. Let's go. He only lived 33 years on earth. He was called to be perfect and save the world. That's a pretty big to-do list. I don't know what your to-do list is this week, but save the world's probably not on there. And he waited 30 years before starting his public ministry. And it's fascinating to think about what happened right after Jesus says, I'm here. If you remember, it's in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus gets baptized. The clouds open up. The the Holy Spirit comes down. There's a dove that comes down, uh, which is a biblical fancy word for pigeon. And it's true. And... God says, this is my son, listen to him, this is Jesus, this is the savior of the world. And Jesus is commissioned to change the world. He's ready to go out and do what he was created to do. And the first thing Jesus does, he takes a sabbatical. Now this is my kind of preaching gig. Takes 40 days off to go pray in the wilderness. Now imagine that nine years ago when you hired me, what if I said, hey, I'm not gonna be able to preach for like 40 days. I need some time off. I'll be like, let's get the next guy in here. You look all the way down. Think about this. You can choose any transportation choice you want, right? You're the son of God. Any animal. You can ride an elephant, giraffe, a lion. But what is, if I was Jesus, I would have been like a, a horse, a white horse, big, strong, powerful, Right? But what does Jesus ride? You know what Jesus rode? He rode a, a donkey. No donkey's ever in a rush. You don't ever see Eeyore running a red light. I promise you, as he walked, as Jesus walked, if Jesus wasn't rushed, and we're called to follow Jesus, if Jesus wasn't rushed in his soul, why do you think we are? I know what you're saying. Well, Pastor John, we got, we got bills to pay. We got jobs to do. We got kitchens to clean. We got kids to raise. We got news to read. We got biased news to read so we can get really mad. We got yards to mow and dinner to cook and clothes to buy and clothes to wash and more clothes to wash and more clothes to wash, clothes not to wear, clothes to buy more clothes because you don't wear the clothes that are in your closet right now. Photos to take, captions to make, numbing Netflix series to binge watch on. And just because the pace of life is what you find yourself going faster and faster and faster until you realize, hey, I'm sprinting. And you realize you don't have time for the things that you wish you did, like deep conversation, like a meal with your family when they don't take out their phone. We don't have time. We don't have time. Just yesterday, I texted my brother. I said, hey, did you get that uh, birthday card I sent you? I sent you a birthday card. And it's got a gift card in it, so I'm a little nervous because, you know, sometimes when you send a Visa gift card, they disappear. Right? And so he texts me back. He goes like, I don't know. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough patience. I don't have money. I mean, he's just like going off this list. I'm like, dude, I just asked you if you got your card. Come on. He's probably watching right now. I'm in trouble. But he was, he, was like, he was like, this is my sermon tomorrow. 
And, and so what happens is, like, right, we wear it like a badge of honor, like I'm so busy, you're so busy, and because it means you're important, right? And everybody else is so busy, so it must be God's will because everybody else is doing it, so it's got to be God's will that you be this way. So I was thinking about it. Why am I so busy? Why do I live so rushed? Because I'm preaching this sermon for me. I'm glad you all showed up. Why am I so rushed? Why do I feel like I never have enough time? And I thought about it. I think, I think we're either running from something or we're running to something. If I analyze it, for me, I'm probably running from insignificance and I'm running towards acceptance Right? I don't want success anymore. I'm 51. I worried about success when I was 26, 27, 28. I did, I've done all that. I've had the biggest church. I've had the biggest church in the UCC. I've done it. I've preached to 1,500 people a week. And I thought, I've arrived. And it, it wasn't meaningful to me. It didn't fill me up. So I was like, it wasn't, you know, I got there and it was like, why am I running? And so I don't want success. I want significance I want to know that I mattered, that I made a difference in this world. So success is usually about you. Significance is about what outlives you. Hello? So that's why I'm always running. I want to be somebody. And, man, my time's running out. You might be running from past. And let me trust trust me, your time is running out. I did a funeral on Friday, Seaside, 32-year-old. 32. 32. You might be running from something someone said about you. I'm going to prove them wrong. You might be running from an insecurity, and you're going to prove them wrong and overcome it. You might be running from a hurt. Someone hurt you, abused you. You've got a goal, right? I met someone this week that said, I got a goal. I got a vision. She's a a girl. She's like, I'm on the dating site, Christian Mingles or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. ChristianMingle.com. Is that even real? I don't know what she just said, some kind of Christian dating site. I don't know what makes that Christian, the dating site. What does it make it like? I don't post nudes. I don't know what makes it real. Sorry, this is not in the notes. So, But she's like, I'm going to find me a man. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. We're going to have matching tattoos, and we're going to have kids named Elijah and Mary because that's in the Bible. She's running towards success. She's running towards an image in her mind. She's, you know, it's running towards popularity. Or I'm running to, towards more likes on my Instagram or more likes on my Facebook so that I'm accepted. And the problem for most people is that when you get there, and I know this because I've chased success, when you get there, you're chasing a life that will still leave you empty once you got there. Always rushed, always pushing it. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, you just don't understand, preacher boy, Mr. Bishop of Yorktown. <laughs> I'm trying to work that nickname in so it catches on. You, you don't understand, pastor. I got a full-time job. You work one day a week Sunday, and it's done by 1230 at the latest. And here's what I want to say, and I want to say it very respectfully to all of you. You have time <laughs> for what you choose to have time for. You have just as much time as everybody else to choose your time. I'll give you an example. I can prove this to you. Anyone here on social media? Okay, if your hand's not up, you're lying. Okay, except for Renee. She's not on social media. How much time do you think the average person spends on social media a year? 
The average person spends 706 hours a year on social media. Now, the good news is some of you in this room are a lot younger, and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I'm not average. I'm way above average. I spend a lot more time than that. I love to do comparisons. Traditional workday, eight hours a day. 706 hours on social media. If you did the math, and I did the math, checked it three times and asked Renee, that is approximately four and a half months of working hours that people spend on social media. Four and a half months a year. So you have time. You got time to check your likes and check your Facebook posts and check your Instagram. But why was Jesus never rushed? I mean, he had a big job. He had a big task, save the whole world. His mission was to save you and me. That's a pretty big to-do list. Why do we read, and we never read, we never read this, Jesus ran. Here's the deal. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. If Jesus is living an unrushed life, shouldn't we? Have you ever tried to love someone and go, hey, hurry up, come on, let's go, let's go, come on. You cannot microwave love. You have to crockpot love. I did a visit this week. I went to see um, beautiful people, Jan and Buzz Sawyer, and they're probably watching right now. They watch every week. And they have a beautiful house and a beautiful view of the water. I spent probably an hour and 20 minutes there. Can you imagine if I showed up and said, hey, let's get this over with quick because i got to love you really quickly, like in five minutes or less. Hurry up. I remember one time when my son was five, he was taking a bath, and he's playing around, he's splashing around, having a good time, and I go, hurry up, hurry, come on, hurry, and he goes, why? And I didn't have a meeting to go to, I didn't have anything business to attend to, I was just like, hurry, and he's like, I just want to chill in the tub, Dad. And this is true, and this really became the basis for this message today. I had a dream, it was actually a nightmare. I'm always waking Renee up and telling her about my dreams. I had a crazy one last night. I was battling a shark in the, in the Oso. I don't know, I don't understand it. <laughs> Seriously, it was. I was like punching him in the mouth and I was like, man, he's strong. Weird dream. But I had a nightmare and I, the nightmare was I had died. Yeah, it's, it could happen. I had died. But the real nightmare was my boys, my two sons, Jacob and Zachary were given my eulogy it didn't go well. They're standing right up here. And I was much skinnier. I was in an urn. <laughs> and this is what they said. Dad was always working on sermons. Dad was always answering emails. Dad was always on his phone. Dad was busy. Man, he worked a lot at the church. Running the school, running the church. He did a lot. He was he was busy. Yeah, when I think about my dad, you know what I think about? He was tired. He looks tired in pictures. He was busy. And that was my dream, which was a nightmare. Because not that I made a difference. They didn't stand up and say I changed the world. They didn't say that I showed them the love of God, but they said I showed them busyness. If we're always living with a hurried soul, you cannot love as Jesus loved. Jesus is walking through town, walking to Jericho, and 
He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. Everyone knows Zacchaeus is no good, slime bag, dirty tax collector. And Jesus says, come on down, let's have lunch. And they're like, Jesus, you're on your way. You're on your way. What are you doing? You don't have time for Zacchaeus. But he takes time for lunch. And in the process, he loves him into change. So turn to your neighbor and say, start walking and start loving. Go ahead and say that right now. Go ahead. Say it like you had some coffee, all right? Come on. Now, all that I've shared with you so far is set up for the next part of the message. So I want you to really hear me. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. amen. All right. All that was set up because you cannot love in a hurry. You cannot. So I want to tell you about Bill. My very first church was here in Corpus. Uh, it was a, a church over on Alameda. And... Um, I was very young. Uh, picture me young. I know it's hard. Um, this is 27 years ago. I met a guy, and he came to my church every week, and his name was Bill. I'm going to call him Bill. And Bill was a good guy. He was like a lot of you. He came to church every week. He was fun. He was friendly. He was good. And one day, Bill came up to me and said, I'd like to meet with you today. I need to meet with you. It's, it's an emergency. So I said, sure. I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't really doing much because I was new at the job. All I did was rearrange my furniture in my office was it. So he comes in and he looks really down. He looks really depressed. He looks really somber. And he says to me, I know you you think on the outside I'm, I'm really happy, but on the inside I'm really hurting. I'm really struggling. And I've come to the conclusion that I need to take my own life. And I'm sitting there going, what? Now I'm brand new in ministry. I'd never had a conversation like this. And so I just kind of prayed a shotgun prayer. I just said, please, God, help me say the right thing here. Please, God, help me make a difference. Please, God, because I I didn't really, I have a degree in counseling, but when you're face-to-face with someone like that, you know, you want to know what the right thing is to say, right? Hello? When someone says this to you, you take it seriously. So I've never done this before, and I haven't done it since, but I just told him, I said, I said, Bill, I said, I want you to know that I think God's laying on my heart right now and I took out a yellow, I have yellow legal pads. I love yellow legal pads. I said, I think God wants, wants you to give me 50 reasons. We're going to come up with 50 reasons why you should live, why you should be alive. And he's just like, no, I don't, I, there's no reason. I can't think of a single one. And I said, no, no, tell me something good about yourself. There's got to be something good, something good. And we sat there in silence for three minutes. And finally he says, well, I'm a pretty good writer. So I said, let me write that down. Pretty good writer. That's great. I said, so tell me something else. And he, he just kind of deadpanned, and he goes, I'm funny. <laughs> I thought, I never noticed that before. Okay, you're funny. Yeah. Okay, since you're in the state you're in, I'm not going to argue with you. Okay, you're funny. And then he says, <laughs> third reason, I look like Brad Pitt. <laughs> he didn't look nothing like Brad Pitt. So I said, Oh, you're funny. I get it. (laughs) Funny. But seriously, about number seven or eight, he got on a roll. He kind of had a breakthrough. And instead of feeling like there was no reason to live, 
he started to smile a little bit, and he started giving me more and more reasons. Well, my sister thinks I'm faithful, and I got a full head of hair, and uh, I'm a good worker, and he pulled out some random ones and just some crazy things. And by reason number 25, 26, 27, we came up with 60. By 27, he was crying and telling me why he should live and why he should be encouraged. And I listed those 60 things on the yellow notepad, and I, I, I tore it up, and I gave it to him, and I said, you need to hold on to this, and you need to be encouraged by this. And every time you're feeling down, you need to read this. And, he, and I got him set up with a counselor who could help him, and, and that little piece of paper went with him. Now, I lost track of Bill. I hadn't thought of Bill until two weeks ago, and you didn't know it. But in this service, Bill was here, looking older, <laughs> and he was here with his wife, and he introduced me to his daughter, and he said, Pastor John, you remember me? And I go, I'll never forget you. And he said, you saved my life, Pastor. You remember that conversation? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I sure do. Of course, I, I'll never forget it. He goes, you saved my life. And you know what I felt at that moment? Two weeks ago, right here after the service, y'all didn't even know this was happening. You know what I felt? Significant. I didn't feel success. I felt like I'd made a difference. I felt like, ah, oh, this is why I do ministry. And he introduced me to his daughter. And I said, you still got the list? He goes, well, I took a picture and put it on my phone. <laughs> I could quit running for a second. And we, we gave each other a hug. You know, like the old school hug where you actually hug someone, not like the COVID hug? <laughs> the holy wink. You have no idea what God might do through you if you slow down and listen to the people that God has placed in your life. You ever think about that? That God has put people in front of you for a reason? I always like to think about that. You have no idea how God could use you to offer someone hope, to build someone's faith, that you could save someone's life, that you could be a reason for them to keep living. You could be on their list, because I think every one of us has a list. You have no idea what God can do through a single word of encouragement, but you can't offer that word of encouragement if you're always in a hurry. I ain't got time for you. What does that say? You're not important. And I want to tell you, it's a discouraging world. And it's a discouraging world we live in. I can't open up my social media without somebody being, you know, discouraging. I'm at the gym the other day at the elliptical. I'm watching two TV screens at the athletic club. They got Fox News on the left and they got MSNB on, on the right. So I got conservative, liberal, raging conservative, raging liberal. And I'm just watching them talk about the same stories, and the headlines are completely opposite. And you know what my thought was? It's all crap. <laughs> because guess what? Media is owned, and once you own it, you can say what you want to say. I don't believe any of it anymore. And we get so polarized. We're a polarized nation. We're polarized over stupid things like the color of your skin. Give me the break, it's pigment. Remember Job, I was thinking about Job. Remember Job, it's an interesting story, Job. He's in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the devil is like the district attorney. 
no offense to the lawyers, but he's real a nasty lawyer, okay? And he goes to God, and he says, hey, you know, Job, he's doing pretty good. You blessed him pretty good. He's, I mean, he's living large. He's got a big, fat 401K. He's got healthy family, healthy kids. I bet if you took some of that away, he wouldn't be so loyal to you, huh, Yahweh? And God says, okay. It's like a bet with Job's life. It's a disturbing book to read. And Job loses his family. He loses all his stuff. Everything collapses. He's sitting there with sores on his body. He's physically afflicted. He's got everything you could imagine going wrong in his life. It's a train wreck without the train. And his friends show up. Job's friends show up to comfort him and encourage him. And for the first seven days, they do everything right. You know why they do everything right? They just sit there with him. They're not in a hurry. They just sit there with him and they just say, we're here for you, bro. And they don't say a word. But they communicate with your presence, right, that we're here for you, right? Because your physical presence says, I love you. I care for you. But then on day seven, they do something stupid. They open their mouth. And this is what they do. Job, what did you do wrong? God is angry with you. Have you ever been to places? I went to Duluth, Minnesota in January. Before I met Renee, there was a girl I was dating named Stacia Witte, and she wanted me to move to Minnesota, prove my love for her. I went up there. It was so cold. It didn't matter how much clothes you had on, the wind just whoop. I'm frozen. And I said to her, I said, God is angry with the people of Minnesota. It is too cold. It's just, I am not moving. I don't care how much you love me. You're coming to Texas. She goes, I ain't coming. I go, okay, we're done. Love has ended over geography. But thank God, because I got Renee. I got the bonus. Huh? Come on, huh? No offense, Stacia, if you're watching. She ain't watching. <laughs> But Job says to his friends, he says in, 16, in chapter 16, verse 2, he says to them when they're saying, you've done something wrong, he says, I've heard this all before. And then he says, I love this, what miserable comforters you are. You ever lose a loved one and someone says something stupid to you? I tell you, Christians say some of the dumbest things when you lose a loved one. Well, God needed another flower in the garden. If you say that to me, I'm level. Well, I won't say it. <laughs> Does God really need another flower in the garden? What? What? It's the dumbest thing. And so Job says, You're a miserable comforter. I'm, I'm too pastoral mostly, to, but if you ever strip away my pastoralness away from me, and there are things, people, when they say stupid things, I want to say, would you just please quit, stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking here? Come on. Don't say anything. And then Job says to his friends, I could say the same thing if, if you were in my place. I could spout off criticism and shake my head at you. But then Job says, but if it were me, somebody say, if it were me. Go ahead and type that in if you're watching online. If it were me, I would encourage you. If it were me, I'd speak words of life. I would try to take away your grief. Job is saying that to his friends. If it were me, I would try to encourage you. And so I want to tell you one of my lifelong goals to be significant, and I think it's a good goal to be significant, is I want to be, as your pastor, I want to be the most encouraging voice you have on this side of heaven. I want to be that. 
I got an email from a, a lady, um, no names mentioned, Melissa from San Antonio. She watches every week. She gave a very generous donation to the church. And she sent me an email, and I, and I just said, I, I just want you to let you know, the office manager told me you sent a donation. Thank you so much. She sent me an email back. She said, I love that you brought me back to God. And you know what brought me back to God was not hellfire and brimstone, but you encouraged me every week. And I thought, there you go. There you go. Because the tongue has the power of life and death. Your tongue has the power of life and death. 60 reasons to live. I want my words to build your faith, to strengthen your confidence, to believe that God is for you, that he's with you, that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he's working in you. If it were up to me, I would encourage you and build up your faith because all of you in this room are facing battles. Y'all look good, y'all look good, y'all look great, but all of you are facing battles that I don't know anything about. And so Hebrews 3.13, the author says, encourage one another. Somebody say that, encourage one another. Yeah, and he doesn't say every now and then. He doesn't say encourage one another whenever the Spirit prompts you. He doesn't say encourage one another whenever you have time. It says encourage one another, and then he says this phrase, daily. Daily. Now, that's a lot of encouragement, which is why I have continued to write daily devotionals. I think I'm above 500 now or something like that. Even though many of you have said to me, you can stop now. And I know because I look at the statistics, 16.9% of the church actually opens up those daily devos. So I'm going to keep on speaking to the 16.9%. I know if you click on it, just click on it. Fool me. But I want to encourage you daily because here's what I know is true. Every day we face discouragement. I got a committee in my head. How many of you have a committee in your head? Man, these voices are active. Here's what my voices say. You're not going to measure up. You're not going to be good enough. You can't get it all done. You'll never be tall enough to ride this ride. This sermon is way too long. No one's coming back next week. And here's what I found about my voices of discouragement. They never take a day off. They're always, wherever I go, there they are. So I need encouragement every day. And so I want to encourage you every day. And because I need it, you probably need it too. Therefore, we're going to encourage each other as a church daily, daily, daily. Amen? Man, I want people to walk out of here feeling tall. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I'm not a very good encourager. I would say to you, well, you, you weren't a very good walker at the age one either. You were like drunk Frankenstein, but you learned. You took a step and you fell down. You took another step and you learned how to walk. In the same way, you can learn to, to encourage, make it a priority. I'll give you a simple game-changing rule about encouragement. The simplest rule is if you think of something good about someone, say it. If you think something good, express it. If you, The moment you think of something positive about them, call them, text them, say it. Reach out to someone. Write a note. Express your encouragement. Why in the world would you ever want to rob someone from a blessing that goes unexpressed? John Mayer has a great song about this. Say what you need to say. Great song. 
We say it when we're in trouble. When my dad had COVID and they told him three times that he was going to die because he refused the vent. He's like, I'm 83. I ain't going on that vent. And they said, well, sir, you're going to die. He goes, that's fine. I got a cemetery spot over there in the Veterans Cemetery in San Antonio. Fort Sam, roll me up in there. And that's how my dad is, trust me. So he texts us. They say this is the end. That's the text from my dad. (laughs) Well, this is rather apocalyptic, Dad. The end of time? What are we talking about here? Uh, They say I'm dying. I don't feel like it, but they want to put me on the vent, refused. Do not resuscitate me. Okay. (laughs) How do you respond to a text like that? And then he put, I guess I should say more. Goodbye. Love you too, Dad. (laughs) We text when we're in trouble. Why not text when you see something good? So one of my, the rule of my own mind, and I'm trying this, and trying to do this, say, I'm trying to say a hundred encouraging words for every word that I say that may feel like criticism. I ran that idea by a few of my friends. They're like, you don't know my wife, dude. I'm like, come on. Don't be critical. And it's funny because the scripture challenges us on this. The Bible actually says this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk, any come out of your mouth, but only words that are helpful for building up. That's not 100 to 1. That's 100 to none. Do not let any unwholesome talk. Man, just try to live with that verse this week. Renee and I have been doing it all week. She's like, unwholesome. Unwholesome. And with my kids, I would rather my kids hear a hundred positive words encouraging what I believe in them, what I see in them, what I hope for them, how they're going to be winning instead of just picking apart for what I see wrong. Because I used to be like this as a father. I used to be very sarcastic. And I'm just confessing this. I'm not saying that you should be like this. But I used to tell people, look, I have two boys, right, Jacob and Zachary, but I also have another kid. I don't know if you know about the other kid. Um, I don't know where he came from. Does anyone else have this? You have another kid in your family, you don't know where they came from? Oh, Renee's aware of it, for sure. I've never seen this kid, but I do know his name. His name is Nobody. He did a lot of crap around my house. Hey, who, who put the empty milk jug back in their fridge? Nobody. Okay. Who, who put the dirty dishes in the sink and didn't put them in the dishwasher? Nobody, Dad. Who didn't take out the trash? Nobody. Nobody. I'll tell you what, if I ever find this nobody, he's going to be some serious time out, right? <laughs> Anyone else have a nobody in your house? Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the elf on the shelf, but all year long. (laughs) This can change and revolutionize your life and your marriage. You want to build up your spouse? I'm going to tell you what I want to do. I, I, I stand up here because my wife believes in me and my wife encourages me. I'll tell you that. She, she does. We have a debriefing about how the sermon goes every Sunday. A little too long. She usually says that. 
But one of the biggest complaints I hear from Christian women is this one. My husband ain't no spiritual leader. And what's funny is they always say it right in front of him. And he's just like, well, yeah, he's going to take his ball and go home. He's not, he's not going to stick around. He's not a spiritual leader. But ladies, if you'll do this, because listen, nationally attendance in church, 67% is women. Just look around today. Look around next week during deer season. There could be any guys here. <laughs> I'm going to be up my blind praying to Jesus for a 14-point book. But if your husband ever says, hey, let's go to church or let's watch Grace Online, I want you ladies to do this. I feel so close to you when you, do, when you say stuff like that. When you talk about going to church, I feel strong physical attraction for you. If he says a prayer and it's the only prayer he's ever prayed, but he tried, he's praying over Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving coming up, right? If he says something like this, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. If he says something like that, just say, honey, I feel so close to you when you pray. I love it when you pray like that. Stick your tongue in the ear and tell him you're celebrating his praying life. And you'll encourage him and he'll become more spiritual. Trust me, ladies. I'm giving you hints, free relationship tips today. You encourage what you want to see, and generally you see more of it. Hello? Amen? All right. I got more, but I think I'm done. <laughs> I hear you all encouraging me. It's too long. Renee's right. 12 o'clock. So I'm going to leave you with a challenge. I want you this week to just walk, to slow down and say, I'm going to go slowly. I might even be late and it's going to be okay. I was late yesterday for a wedding. <laughs> it was okay. They didn't do it without me. <laughs> slow down. Think of something encouraging and love the other person. Walk as Jesus walked, unrushed. Know that it's going to be okay. God's still going to love you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. That love is there. Jesus died on the cross for you. He wants you to live an unrushed life. He wants you to love, but that requires T-I-M-E, time, and not being in a hurry. So I'm going to challenge you every day this week, if you're married, you've got a partner, you're with somebody, wake up and say an encouraging word to them. Just see how it sets the tone. I've been trying it all week. It's been working like a charm on Renee. Seriously, an encouraging word, a loving word. You can do this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Any. Really, like one critical comment? No, not none. Any unwholesome talk. Imagine if you did that. Imagine the difference it would make in your life. Imagine if someone comes up to you years later and says to you, you saved my life. You're, you're one of the reasons on the list that I'm here. That's significance. And that's what God wants you to bring to make up there come down here. Not success. Success is what you're about. Significance outlives you. Let's pray.
God of grace, we give thanks for this time to reflect on and to consider the encouraging words that we might say. Father, we pray that we would slow down this week, that we'd recognize that we're running from something or running to something. And Jesus didn't live that way. He didn't live rushed or hurried or sprinting. Never once did Jesus say, hurry up. But Jesus loved deeply and love takes time. And Jesus always took time for everyone. They needed a healing, they needed a touch, they needed a prayer or needed a word. He slowed down. So Father, if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we need to live unrushed. So help us to slow down on this treadmill called life and live our life the way you lived. Let us be people who encourage and build each other up and recognize that we might be the reason. Reason number one or number 60 on the list of why they live. But that's significance that you've touched another heart, another soul. Father, I give thanks for Jesus who didn't seek out success. He didn't try to be the number one carpenter in town. Instead, he sought significance. So, Father, we pray these things in the name of the most significant one ever. And the prayer he taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing praise song.